Good morning, friends. Welcome to another episode of The Conversation. Uh, this, this morning, I get to have the opportunity to talk to Chris Fossum, who works for the investment firm First Trust Advisors, where he's worked since 2008, serving the upstate and western New York region, helping financial advisors better serve their clients and grow their business. Before he launched this career in high finance, Chris played and coached football at the Great Wheaton College outside of Chicago where he met his wife, Jessica. They have six kids, helped by their now three-year-old quads, just turned three a couple months ago. They live here in the Rochester area. Chris, welcome to the conversation. Good morning, Rob. Thank you for having me here. Well, I want to just dive in. Let me start first. We were just talking a minute ago before we turned on about your family. Not everybody knows you listening to this, but many people know you. You're, it's kind of like, you know, people know you through your whatever, you know, through something. You're, you're you know, uh, the movie you made, the career you have, the book you wrote. And it's, for you guys, it's probably been the quadruplets lately because um, you and uh, Jess had quadruplets. I can't believe it's been three years ago. I know. I, I would I would have said two maybe, but uh, it just, it's like one year I lost. But, um, you know, we, we can't help but Think about the coronavirus. That's not going to be our subject for the whole uh, time today. But how is the Fossum family doing? You have two other kids as well, David and Eden. And uh, so you have a big crew. And um, how's life in the coronavirus at the Fossum house? Well, I, I will say the, the Foss squad is alive and well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the uh, the turning three with the little guys and David, our oldest, just turned eight last Saturday. Wow. Um, everybody has grown bigger. And their energy levels have increased, but yet your your walls stay the same size. So we were grateful that the weather turned here I know. a couple months ago so we could get outside because you can burn a lot more energy outside. But to, to, to rewind it, obviously a great blessing that we're talking about four healthy, happy little four-year-olds because that certainly was a, a faith-growing journey, mm-hmm. uh, finding out that we were having them. And I always say this, but I will till the day I'm no longer here, to say Jess Mama is an amazing woman is an understatement, mm. and she has uh, she has been a big reason why we have, I would say, you know, at times maybe survived in the last right. three or four months, but also thrived um, mm. in large part because of uh, her role as, as mama. And did she, in the last couple months of the spring, homeschool your older kids? She did, yes. Yeah. So that was a, a unique change as for any family, whether you had two spouses that were working and trying to balance that, or in our case, we're blessed that um, uh, Lisa is uh, uh, an empty nester mom that has been gracious enough to come and Mm. help love on our little guys. Well, as we entered this season, she she was unable to continue to come over. So you you were playing, yes, yes. So you're playing a man down Mm. and then you bring home the the two older ones. So you uh, no longer have help with the little guys and your homeschooling your kids. Wow. So <laughs> um, we started strong, I, I'm sure probably like many. Um, and then, you know, we we figured out when you're in the foxhole, you figure out how to right. just uh, make it happen. But mama well, definitely Well, did I would that. imagine it's helpful for the Fossums, but others that it's summer in the sense of summer can be a little messier. Kids don't go to school now that it is truly summer. But I think it'll be really interesting as we were talking about earlier today, you know, what it's going to be like if the fog doesn't clear whatever metaphor we use by Mm -hmm. the month of September when kids are supposed to go back to school. Certainly David and Eden would be going back to school. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I don't know. I, I, I hear some parents who even have less than six kids, you know, who are, um, it's been a real challenge to um, um, be home. Mm-hmm. Sometimes husband's home too. Moms and dads are both home, you know, mm-hmm. even if they're working from home. And um, it can be, uh, it can be really challenging. And uh, so there's a lot to think about. Um, and, but I'm glad you guys are doing well. And uh, that's, 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 that's a positive. So I, I want to jump in and talk a little bit about the economy for someone who works in the financial services industry. Maybe just say a few words about what you do, because that's such a big, it's like saying I'm in the ministry. Like, what does that mean, right? Sure. What is the fi- what, what is it that you do? So let's start with that. Just give us the elevator pitch on what you do. So as you mentioned, I work for a firm, First Trust, based in the west suburbs of Chicago. Essentially, along with a, a team here in, uh, in central western upstate New York, we're responsible for serving the advisors uh, that we partner with. And certainly in this time, of uncertainty and um, certainly with the economy moving in the markets as it has, I think the desire and need for biblical timeless truths mm-hmm. um, has has been more necessary than ever. And although our firm, not explicitly a faith-based firm, um, the opportunity to provide resources for advisors and ultimately for their clients that help keep perspective. I think if one word I could provide in the economic view of this conversation, it's perspective because so much of what's going on right now is being dictated by what's right in front of our face right right now. And um, that's one of the things I love most about my job. I I have an economics and a psychology background and uh, so much of what we do uh, with our money is tied to what's going on in our heart. And oftentimes that is a combination of the psychological and the economic sides of, of the world. So in, in a nutshell, I, I, I act as an economist, a right. psychologist in, in right. helping our advisors better serve their clients. And I think the idea of stewardship and um, taking care of the resources that you have um, right. and what you desire to do with that is is more needed than ever, and left yeah. to our own devices, we often struggle to do that well. Well, I, I've always imagined people like you, and, and we were talking about some other people that are in the business when we were walking over here. You know, when you're talking about people's money, you know, it's it's it is kind of you know, um, it's about as intimate as you can get. You know, mm-hmm. maybe their marriage and maybe their faith or something, but money is is a is a barometer of a lot in people's lives. So I would imagine, I'm just guessing that. Even though you you may be talking to advisors who are then talking to clients, maybe you do some of both. But you know, um, you know, you, you're getting a sense. I'm sure some of your conversations stray from you know dollars and cents to you know what else is going on in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I can imagine you you probably have a good sense. So let me let me let me dive into that. When you think about the economy, I'm sure you get asked this question all the all the time. You know, what's your sense on where we are now? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. Uh, not everyone would um, gauge the economy by the stock market. That seems to be sure. doing okay, um, uh, I, at least today. I don't know. I haven't looked this morning. But I mean, yes. uh, uh, what's your sense on the economy? How has the economy um, done in now four months in of the coronavirus, this pandemic? And what's your sense on the future? You you um, you know um, agnostic, you upbeat. What do you think about the economy? Well, I think I think back to my comment earlier. Perspective is such an important word because I, I think I'll, I'll I'll bookend a couple of these comments with the statement that in reference to coronavirus and and anything that I would share on the economy is that um, the loss of any life, one life, is is one life too too many. And and so when you talk about the economy, 
economics is about trade-offs. So I, I'll share some thoughts on what we see going on in the economy. But with that, that in um, in the real, uh, even in our own family's life, uh, my wife's grandmother passed here in the last several months, and mm-hmm. you know, a couple different health issues, but they deemed that to be with coronavirus. So we sense the personal, but I also am going to talk about it at a little higher level. Um, but it's also in a time where I think some may may feel that they can't ever see they can't see when the fog would lift, right? You mentioned fog earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been, although right now it's hard to think back to this, there have been many times in history where people in that current day felt that there was no end in sight. Right. Um, there are big ones, um, but I can think back even to in a very similar mindset of all the things that are going on right now. It's slightly different, but uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, mm-hmm. um, that was a time of great unrest in the country. Right. Um, economically, the country was very much struggling. Right. We had um, President resign in that time frame. If right. had not, probably would have been impeached. I mean, those were very uncertain times. Absolutely. And so I think that's where perspective is important because then if we flip to the discussion of the coronavirus, I am not an epidemiologist. We are a very data-driven firm, so we we share the statement math wins. So I will share a couple things that we believe are math winning. And one is just in light of all viruses, they do come and then they go. So that doesn't mean we know when that will happen, right. but it is a belief that this too shall pass. Right. Um, the caveat to that as well is that one thing America has proven time and time again is that when addressed with a challenge, we will respond. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a simple example is that we put a man on the moon with a slide rule. You think about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the microprocessor didn't come until the 1970s, but to think that literally with a slide rule, we launched a rocket that carried human life to the moon and brought him back. Those are the kind of things that sometimes can get lost when in the front of your face, all you hear is uh, positive case counts. And you know, it's interesting. Pullbacks. You and I were talking, walking over here, how the news is, you know, dominated by the coronavirus. Understandable, yeah, but sure. perhaps a little much, you know, there's other things going on. Didn't we just send a rocket to the moon? Yes. I mean, <laughs> about a month ago. Yes. I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, that, and, that hardly even made the news. No, and yeah. and even more so, it landed back like the Jetsons rockets landed, which was like, you know, coming down and, and gently landing on the ground. You're like, that's that's well, where I, we... I, I said to my, I saw that, you know, incidentally reading the news. Yeah. And I thought, why, why didn't somebody, why didn't we make this Take a day yes. and just dedicate it to this story. Well, and and yeah. once again, to any, I work in finance and that's economics. But to anyone in the the media field, it's it's not a good or bad thing. It's just in the end, they're driven to drive eyes, right. whether it's a click right. or it's a viewership. And so, you know, the controversy, the bad news, like we're humans, maybe part of our brokenness, like we're drawn to that, mm-hmm. and so. I'm sure today one of the headlines has to do with the number of cases. And this is where I wanted to right. come back to that, um, to the data, what we we would watch. I mean, just in context, now we're doing about 650,000 tests a day nationally. And there are some states that are rolling things back and some states that are still moving forward with the, um, with the opening. Um, that positive test case number, it, you know, we had somewhere around 40, 45,000 positives of that 650. That 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 percentage of positive is about the same it was in May when we were running less tests. Right. So from May to June, although the narrative has been a surge in cases, right. I don't think anyone would argue back in May that they didn't think there were people that were asymptomatic 
that we that didn't had the virus. that had the virus that we didn't. So we're looking at that number, right? And if that number has been constant and we're below ten percent, which we are, right. that's a good thing, right? Um, if we compare that back to April twentieth, which was kind of a peak of all things, only doing a couple, it's about one hundred and thirty, I think, around one hundred thirty thousand tests, and we had about a thirty thousand positive. Um, number, mm. that's a much, much higher percentage basis. So back to kind of math wins, right. um, we're encouraged by that, that that positive test number has been consistent and lower than what you would think based on the, the headlines. And that's in our mind, a big reason why we think economically the road forward is, is a positive one, huh. because um, we've learned a lot since March and April. Mm. Um, the virus itself is one thing. The greatest pain has been caused by the the the, the large-scale lockdown that came from that and the economy is like a muscle right if any of you you know if we do any strength training you have to build that muscle up over time and right. if you stop even for a week or a couple weeks when you come back whatever that weight is you don't put it on the bar and then rep it out like you did three weeks ago. Right. So the economy is not like a machine that's turned on and off. Right. It is it's more like a muscle. And that muscle is growing again. And I'll share a couple quick encouraging thoughts to, to affirm that. Mm. But it's also a path forward. You know, right. I, I, I think realistically, and we, we talked about this, I think the Stockdale paradox is very mm. applicable to many things. It's very... Say a few words about it so people don't know what that So means. Admiral James Stockdale was the longest tenured POW uh, at the Hanoi Hilton. And um, in him... Going in, but also coming out, he was interviewed by Jim Collins in the book, Good to Great, and talked through kind of how does one survive what was a truly um, horrific story? And many people did not alongside him that were were there. Um, and when Jim Collins asked him, like, well, first of all, like, how did you survive this? And he said, the, the first thing is, one, I never wavered in my belief that in the end I would prevail. And this would be the defining moment of my life, and I would mm. be better for it. And you think about it, just saying that, like I right. kind of get goosebumps. But mm. then you're like, I can't even imagine what it was like in his situation when he was thinking that. But then he also said, I, I, I never failed to address the stark realities of the moment. And Jim Collins was kind of taken back by that answer and then said, well, then who didn't make it out? And he, without missing a beat, said, oh, that was easy, the optimist, which is also a unique answer. Interesting. And, he said, the optimist is the one that was like, oh, well, we're going to be out by Easter. We're right. going to be out by the 4th of July. We're going to be out by Labor Day. And every date that came and went became a date that they became a little less dis or a little more discouraged, a right. little more lack of hope. And so that's kind of like our faith, right? That's I mean, great. that's that Jesus Christ has overcome mm -hmm. and we know that death uh, has lost its sting. That's great hope that in the end, we know the end of the story. Right. But in the here and now, in this time where we live in a broken, fallen world, I'm a broken, fallen man, right. I need to address the current realities of today. And so why, why I, I, I touch on that is that um, economically, and I think I got myself a little sidetracked there, economically, um, the muscle will rebuild, but there has been real damage right. done. And you know, particularly smaller businesses, mm -hmm restaurants there are people that were later in their career that have said you know what i'm just i'm done right and and not in a terrible way they knew it was coming maybe it was a five-year plan while well, it became a right. now plan accelerated and that's that's the beauty of the american economy is that yeah. some other restaurant will come along 
right. and open up in that location, maybe put some new paint, upgrade, and, and bring in a new concept. And, and most likely will thrive, but that takes time. That's 12 months maybe at the quickest, 24. So our view is that the economy, um, like a muscle, is working again. And I'll share some encouraging stats on that. But that muscle will take time to build. So um, our view is that in the end, this too shall pass. And economically, we believe that um, we will move forward to this because the breadth and depth of the U.S. economy is far greater than I think we can even fathom. Mm. Um, And at the same time, um, we think there's a lot more data to support the case that we will not enter full-scale lockdown again because we just simply see the destruction that that right. can cause. And there's more data to support how, you know, you're, it, it's a trade-off. It's not a zero-sum game where there are right. there are negatives with the virus, but there are also negatives to yeah, some, shutting some everything off. Some have said, I know you've heard this, um, that the real black swan, to use that metaphor, it was mm-hmm. the lockdown, not the virus itself. So mm-hmm. we're, we're learning that. Yeah, and that that really ties into what I wanted to finish with on the economy is that we we like to focus on leading indicators. Um, that's a broad statement, but we're going to get a GDP number for the second quarter, and it's going to be a doozy. Um, but by the time it comes out, that will already have come and gone mm. um, to the tune of like negative 20, maybe negative 25%. That will be the worst quarter in GDP that we've ever seen. So when that comes out, that will be a big headline. Right. But the economy has moved on already. We'll already have well moved more on. muscle yeah. mass by the time that yes. happens. And, right. and in the third quarter, we view we could even have a 20 plus percent growth number in the That's quarter. Something. But the things that we look at are like daily or weekly numbers. So um, TSA checkpoint data is a daily statistic. We got as low as somewhere around 80,000 checkpoint per day. I mean, that is... At the end of 2019, more people had flown than ever in history to 88,000 people a day. I mean, that is a massive decline. Wow. That number is up dramatically. Is it anywhere where it was? No, but in anything, it's kind of like, right. hey, that happened and that was painful, but now we're moving forward. Right. Um, hotel occupancy rates up week over week, month over month dramatically. Um, one thing, gasoline consumption up 50% off of the low. Mm. Those are all things that to us are are more leading in that they are encouraging what's happening in the economy. And in that, we are building that muscle. But right now, it's atrophied quite a bit. And right. so it will be some time before, say, we're down below 5% unemployment. Right. But it's all about relative slope and which That's way we're right. going. So those are really encouraging things so in our mind. So sounds like you're, you're, you're generally upbeat on the economy. So let me go move from your mood about the economy to the nature mm-hmm. of the change. That is to say, do you believe that the economy, not good or bad, just is just different, is going to be different in some ways um, because of the coronavirus? Just what, let me give you an example. In other words, you you had talked about some things just accelerated um, in the, in the coronavirus. Um, some would say that certain industries that were... Um, um, not so much small restaurants because we know that's because of the nature of the restaurant business, which is you know has a very um, you know uh, uh, small margins on everything, and they may um, if they're closed for a long time, then it may put that restaurant out of business. Mm-hmm. But industries that may be like whether it's you know we, there's a long list, you know Sears, J.C. Penney, Neiman Marcus, J. Crew, you know, and there may be whole industries I'm not thinking of uh, like the Blockbuster and Eastman Kodak sure. examples of a ge- yeah. previous generation. Are there parts of the economy 
that are that need to change are changing that are only been accelerated mm-hmm. if that's the answer is yes how might the economy look different um in the post coronavirus world well i think back to my earlier comment on perspective i think this current situation although it feels unique and it feels different and mm-hmm. and everyone wants to tell us it's different um that's the beauty of history is that it it gives us context to these things. And, and I think back to another time when technology accelerated large change, because that's really what right. is going on here. And okay. these were things that were happening. This just accelerated it, right? Well, I'll use the example Vanderbilt, for example. He he was a street boy that scrounged up pennies to buy a boat that ferried stuff across the island to Manhattan. Well, build it into an empire where he owned every boat that got stuff on and off the island. Well, he controlled flow. He built a business and then out of nowhere, it seemed, sold all the boats and got into railroads. Hmm. Now, think back to that time. It seems like, well, a boat to railroad, you're like. It's not linear. It's not linear. And it's also a time where our world has moved so far past that it it doesn't comprehend. But that was seismically a similar shift. And then what the railroad did, even here locally, I mean. One fact about the the Erie Canal that I've come to understand is that it was one government project that was done on time and under budget, right? Mm. <laughs> um, but then not long after it was done, what came along right next to it was the railroad mm. and essentially changed the need for the Erie Canal. Mm. Yes, things are going to look different. You mentioned the market. There are companies that are thriving right now because in many ways they allow us to work while things are in a more shutdown phase. Some of them um, are actually benefiting from that. Um, but like any time in history, you know, creative destruction is a real thing. Um, and I don't mean to make light of any individual circumstance where, um, there's hardship with that or, you know, a job transition or anything like that. But when I look at it, um, yes, there will be winners and losers in this, and we've already kind of seen some of that and it will look different. Um, but in, in many ways it's not, it's not too dissimilar to other points in history where massive shifts occurred in how things happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, on the whole, you would look back and it's like, I don't think anyone wants to go back to the time where you had to take a boat back and forth across right. to get to Manhattan, that's right. for example, and the railroad and, and where we are now. So I think that's a good perspective yeah. as to where we are and where we'll be. Yeah. What would life be like without the internet? Correct. You know, as an example. Yeah. And and to, to that point, and I meant to say this, um, one of the very exciting things that's not getting a lot of talk that's happening as we speak, kind of like in 07, 08, Apple brought out the iPhone mm-hmm. and then they brought out an iPad. They weren't sitting in boardrooms like the great financial crisis happened. We should shut our doors. Right. They brought out smartphones. You mentioned the internet. Right. 5G is a real thing. It's happening. Mm-hmm. It's not like I have a good signal or a bad signal. It's like you're on the network or you're off. If you're on, it's like, lightning fast. And you think of the industries and businesses that exist today because of 4G, there will be industries and businesses that we could never even fathom that will exist because of 5G. And that's all happening right now, but it clearly- So would you put um, Uber in in, um, Airbnb in the 4G? Yes. Those are the kind of examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of things that existed post 4G that we could have never fathomed. So- so let me switch gears um, and just talk. We mentioned earlier, uh, and when I was introducing you about your your very big family, you and Jess, because you had quads, so you you six kids is a lot, but you had four at once because you guys are still pretty young. But how do you, with a pretty serious career um, that you talked a little bit about, how do you find a work life balance? 
I could be saying this to someone who had one kid, but for someone who has six, you know, how do you how do you strike that? Well, I'm I have a big smile on my face mm-hmm. uh, as you ask that question because for anyone, right, that's um, that is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, if you seek to find your identity in your career, um, it can be all consuming. And um, I, I transitioned into my role now about eight years ago, and that's in this process of God bringing us to Rochester and bringing us to Browncroft. It's all kind of tied in because my job brought us here, but I really say God brought us here through my job. Mm. And uh, there's definitely been some dark days in this balance um, because uh, you start a new career, you move, Jess was six months pregnant at the time. It was like all the big life changes. And um, personally, and I think we all, when we're really honest with ourselves, there are fears and, and, and things that really grip us to our core. And for me, um, one of those is is failing. Um, I, I and it's easy, it, it's helpful for me to say that because it seems so small when you say it, but inside it can make me do a lot of bad, mm-hmm. you know, or weird or destructive behaviors um, because I fear failing. And early on in my new job, I really feared failing to the point where like I was not in a good place, probably mm-hmm. wrestling with some depression, wasn't eating well, and all of that came from this idea that if somehow I failed, that I would be a, a disappointment to Jess family, all those that maybe mm. said like, you know, you can do something with your life. And and the moment I stepped back and said, and Jess was a big part of this, um, she, she was like, what are you so afraid of? And I said, failing. And she's like, are you doing the best that you can do? And, I, and she's like, I don't mean like you tried like the old college try. Like, right. can you honestly look yourself in the mirror and say, you've given your best with the gifts God's given you? Mm. And if the answer to that is yes, then you can go to sleep at night knowing mm-hmm. that you've done what you're called to. If the answer to that is yes, that's exactly what first trust would hope from you. Right. And if you can ever say yes to that and first trust, that's not good enough for what first trust, it's no longer the place for you to be. And so the next morning I kind of woke up with a, a, a burden lifted that said, I can wake up today knowing that if I take the gifts God's given me to the fullest, mm. I can go to sleep tonight knowing I've, I've done what God has called me to today. And there's a proverb that says, um, the horse is made ready for battle, but victory rests in the Lord. What's interesting, I remember one conversation that you and I had, um, maybe your kids were only, your your quads were only a couple months old. And um, let's see, they were born in May, is that right? Uh, April, 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 April. Yeah, April the end so, but of I remember, April. I think this was near the end of the year. So it was, it was, maybe it was Thanksgiving or something. And I asked you in the conversation about money and um, just how you doing and, you know, because you obviously were taking time off you to, to be with your wife and your, and, your, and your kids. And you said to me, um, Rob, strangely, um, even though I've been out of work more than any year in my career, I think you said, correct me if I'm wrong, That's it's true. been one of my best years. And that that is true. In a in in a lot of this has been a just constant reminder that God is like the horse is made ready bat for battle, mm-hmm. but victory rests in the Lord. And what does that mean? That means that I'm called to be the man, the husband, the father that God's called me to be. But in the end, the outcomes don't rest on Chris Fossum. It's hard work in the grace of God, mm-hmm. and particularly as a husband and father, when you mentioned the work life balance, it was like freedom from the fear of failing. But then also a mind shift, a mind shift flip of don't give me the strength, God, to work like 60 plus hours a week. 
and this is, I can credit a sermon I heard from Andy Stanley, because he, he shared some of his own personal journey on this, that he started praying like, God, give me the strength and the, the wisdom to get done in the 40, 45 hours a week that I'm going to work what needs to be done. Right. And that's where victory rests in the Lord is trusting God mm. in my own life that I can devote to those hours that I'm working what need be done and then resting in God that, hey, he will provide. Amen. And that's a great season where you can look back and say, hey, God provided. And just like the nation of Israel built little altar, built altars or monuments right. to remind them of times God showed that's up, right. that's the way we as a family look at it is like the birth of the little guys, the fact that they're still here, God's provision through those seasons. Those are all little monuments that we need to look back on and say, hey, when faced with a new stress or a new challenge, when we didn't see a way, look back to where mm. God made a way, mm. and that's in the micro, but I apply mm. that to the macro of what's going on. So right you mentioned, um, you kind of teed me up for a, a question about um, your wife when you said um, she, yes, when you were talking about failing. So, and she gave you that piece of advice. How has Jess influenced um, what kind of husband and father you are? How can you sum that up? Well, there's one very very obvious one is I'm a way more fun person. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I have a much greater joy for life and um, life is just more fun. I'm more fun because of her. Mm. Um, so that's a great testament, but also the most tangible example of God's grace um, that I've ever experienced is through Jess. Um, early on when we met I um, you met in college. We met in college. Yep. yep. I had uh, I was a year ahead of her in school. I played football. I think you alluded yep. to that. Um, injury allowed me to stick around for an extra season. Mindset was like I'm going to come back. I was the captain of the team. We're going to go win a national championship. Like a red shirt thing. Yep, red yeah. shirt. Um, yeah. Lead the team. We're going to win a national championship. I'm going to get a job. We're going to move on to the next chapter of life. Well, God has a you know a funny way of, of being. Like my plans are much different. Um, but I'd also gone through a, a lot of life over that season, as many people do. Those mm -hmm. are very transformative years and had really lived my life on what I call the better than gospel. Um, you know, where, and I, I think Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God is a great example of this. I was very much the older brother. Mm. Um, great book. If you yeah, haven't oh, read it. Phenomenal us. book. Yeah. Tim Keller is great. Um, yeah. but The Prodigal God, yeah. absolutely. Um, I, Maybe would have said I'm not as good as some of the people over here to my right, but I'm definitely better than the people over here. And through you know an addiction and in my life specifically to pornography, I I became the person I never wanted to be, mm. and I hurt and betrayed the people closest to me. Mm. And not until you become someone you don't want to be do you do you recognize that the word grace is a word mm. until you actually experience that. And that's where I would say like. I believe um, I had faith, but that's really where grace went from a word to a, a true wow. meaning. And so with that, I, I grew a lot, and um, that was a very transformative time. But then I was kind of in a very focused mindset, as I said. Well, I met Jess, and early on I had this thought, like, that's the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with, which mm. was a sobering thought. It scared me because I didn't believe that would ever happen. And so early on I was like, just so you know, like you may have thought you met some great guy. I just kind of laid it all out there for her. Mm. And I felt like she was totally justified in either, you know, slapping me or spitting on me and walking away or just saying, hey, I want nothing to do with you. Mm. 
I'm kind of emotional even sharing this. She just gave me a big hug. Wow. And I even feel it right now. It's most tangible example of God's mm. grace in my life. And that was a very um a very transformative moment in our relationship too, because mm. I think when we all we all know that we long to be known ultimately by our creator, but known by others. Mm. And I felt like that was an example of where Jess like truly knew who I was, mm. good and bad. And she still loved me anyway, which wow. is a reflection of God's love for us, right? right. You know, at first John four four nineteen, where uh, we love because he first loved us. Yeah. Once again, those are just words. But right. when you've been loved by someone who didn't necessarily I didn't deserve it. Right. Um, and it's easy to love someone who's nice to you, makes you feel right. good, does all the things you want them to, but when somebody can hurt you and they still love you anyway, that so that's wow. how Jess is you Such know, a, a big powerful way. both um, story about your wife and the role she's played in your life, and I imagine plays in your life because that she was acting out of who she was. So she, and it's just it's a beautiful story too about how God brings people into our lives, whether it's short term or long term. In the case of a marriage, to help um, develop us. That's how uniquely He uses us. And to think, I mean, just listening to you in the last twenty five minutes or whatever it's been. Even if I'd never met Chris Fossum, I'd say, here's a guy who um, is very driven um, and his life has been, when you talked about fear of failure, who's always looking to perhaps um, has to prove himself, has to prove that he's worthy, has to hit the, you know, uh, the highest ring or whatever, and struggles inner, with an inner sense of, am I good enough? These are all things I'm yeah. parroting back. Oh, yeah. So God gives you a woman who understands this really Christ-like, um, it's, it's God's love that we can, we can experience it and, and, and touch it and feel it and be used by it that is, you know, um, a very, you know, counterintuitive kind of thing. It's not, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It's not quid pro quo. It's, it's um, love that's born out of um, God and it is given its grace so what a beautiful sermon you just gave, but also what a great testimony to your wife and how God um, sometimes brings people in our lives, not always our spouse, sometimes our spouse too, who can help us experience him and his great truths at deeper levels. Amen. Um, so on that, we're running out of time, but let me ask you, you, you kind of already walked out, opened this door. How does your faith, I know, Chris, you're a, a committed Christ follower, uh, a man in process like uh, me, but you're a committed Christ follower. How is your faith um, play a, a key role in your, not just your work life, but in your everyday life? Well, I think as I shared some of that transition in my life, kind of in my 20s, it, it really took what was, I think, something I did to more of something I I am. Like to give example, mm -hmm. I showed up at Wheaton College, which is a faith-based school and a, a leader in that. Um, faith was always a big part of my life. But the very first class I went to, they were like, write down on a card five things that are Chris Fossum. And I wrote down five things. And then they started up in the front right and people started sharing them. And like everybody had on their card, like follower of Jesus, uh, a Christian. And I looked at my card. It wasn't on there. Mm. And that's because I think in many ways it was like something I did. It wasn't mm. a part of who I am. And I think I think to, today, looking back to that young man, like what I say to him is one, you kind of have to, you can learn from others and maybe understand a word like grace, but 
sometimes and oftentimes you have to learn it the hard way, mm-hmm. which is what I would share. I, I ended up doing it and, and finding what bottom was for me. Mm-hmm. But what that means now is that I, and I don't, we don't need to get into the Enneagram, for example, but right, right. I, I'm a one and an eight. Okay. So like I'm a, I want to make things better. I'm a reformer, but I'm also a challenger. Um, I need to recognize that like that drive to grow and and make things better is a gift from God, but also be content that like not everybody else has that same mindset. And that doesn't mean Mm. um, that they're wrong. It's another facet of God's character that you get to see reflected. But yet at the same time, like take those passions and gifts God's given you, apply them, but do it in a way where it is is loving to Jess, Mm. um, loving to our children, loving to the people I get to work with, the people mm. I work for. Um, and ultimately each day approaching it with that proverb, you know, mm. like I wake up, um, may I be the best that I can be right. mentally, physically, spiritually. And then, mm. but also pray for the day that God would for each day, make mm. it the day that uh, he would have before us. And that's to love some of the, you know, I walk into an advisor's office and her husband's been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Love, love her in that moment and love her husband and focus on what really matters in that moment. Or when you come home and David had a rough day at school, it's like, check your stresses at the door and like, be there for your son. If that means playing Legos, like may not feel like it, but play Legos with your son. And, and those are all the things that, um, is taking it kind of from a, something I did to like, it's, it's, it's who I, who I am. Yeah. Well, it's so well said. I love that, you know, the story about the card. And I, that that could be in some ways a simple analogy for the challenge that we all have, not only in the arc of our life, mm-hmm. but in the um, the arc of our day, which is, um, are we? Do we know that we're loved? You know, it reminds me of the baptism. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. My beloved child, my daughter. That that that's supposed to be understood for every single follower of Jesus. And you you one could say that that's the the heart of the you know the victorious christian life or for whatever better way to say it is truly living out of that position to know it's not what you you know earning points with god as a way of understanding the christian faith but it's really working out of a sense of being loved and being valued and knowing that's who you are you are god's son you are god's child so it's a beautiful way of thinking about amen it. well let me i don't want to get out of here without um some people maybe that are listening because we're doing this at Browncroft know, you know, Chris and Jess Fossum. You've been involved here for a handful of years, eight years. You said you mentioned even how God brought you here, certainly for your for the work that you do, um, um, for your company, First Trust, but also um, because he had other things in mind. And you you guys have been um, players, for lack of a better metaphor, I mean, here at Browncroft. But how do you feel about you know, the church, how, how, I don't mean just Browncroft, but you know, how's the church doing and, and how, how can we better be the church? Here we are, you know, um, you and I happen to be here social distancing on the church property, but for the most part, the church is not functioning in the way it used to. And you and I were talking earlier today, you know, when will it do it again? Don't know the answer yet, Mm -hmm. right? Things are changing, but you know, how's the church of Jesus Christ doing and, and what can we do um, you and me and people like us to be the church in this season? Well, I think, um, as you mentioned, we talked through this, it is 
I come back to that Stockdale paradox, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, the hope that we will come through this, mm-hmm. um, but also the uh, focus on the stark realities of the moment. And I, I think for one, I've been amazed at how the body of Christ has responded. Um, you know, one thing that has been a huge encouragement to our family has been um, the song, The Blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure many have heard it, but if you haven't, I mean, there's countless YouTube videos of brothers and sisters in Christ in all tongues and tribes and nations across the world singing the blessing. Mm-hmm. And if you if you, you talk about like, come Lord Jesus, kingdom come, like when every tribe, tongue and nation praises his name, like you get the visual representation of that. That's a huge encouragement to our kids and they sing it back and they just love, particularly when other languages sing the song. So I think that's that's a big example, but even here at Browncroft, how we responded in in, in supporting and encouraging the, the medical professionals that have been taking care of people who are sick to taking care of families that maybe um, have been negatively impacted by what's going on economically. I think that's a huge, huge testament to the body of Christ responding. God's provision on the digital platform is a great blessing that we, we have that ability. Right. Um, I think too, as a body, I, I sense that we sometimes respond in a very like chin up, like, Hey, we'll, we'll get through this attitude. But I also sense that there are those, and even in my own life, I know like where we can, it's okay to say like, we're hurting and that hurting might just be like simply feeling lonely, but that hurting might be more intense. Like maybe a battle with sobriety was, you know, uh, you fell in that moment, or maybe mm-hmm. a marriage is, is struggling. And I, I, I think that there's peace and acknowledging sometimes it's not like things aren't okay. Like mm-hmm. that's acknowledging the stark reality of the moment. And I think what I'm challenged by in that is just to continue to, although maybe we not be meeting as a big group, right? create space if that's simply a phone conversation um, to connect with others. But if it's more like a cup of coffee in person, right. I feel like I, I told you this morning that um, meeting in person with people recently has felt like taking a deep breath. Right. You know, the first time you take a deep breath, you're like, wow, how good did that feel? But you didn't know you hadn't taken a deep breath that's in right. a long time. So for those um, who are able or feel comfortable, just an encouragement that in the appropriate way and context that um, the more we can love others by being there, um, mm-hmm. we were we are created to be in relationship with our creator, mm. also in with, with each other. So however, how that looks, I think we can continue to be that body of Christ and mm. in ways like that. So. Well, you know, I hope uh, my is just taking what you said and kind of matching it with what you said about your own life when you talked about what you know, filling out that card at Wheaton, the the the, the sort of low point you were in some sense. Um, you know, even though you were a Christ follower, you were at the Great School of Wheaton uh, College in in Wheaton, Illinois, and you and you um, have this moment and this this understanding. Your wife plays a part in it, and I'm wondering if that isn't a analogy for what we're all going through. That is the coronavirus to many of us. We all experience it in our own way, right? But um, it's, it's, it's this moment of pause. It's this moment of, I hope, self-reflection, um, which is why some of us are going uh, off the track, so to speak. In other words, self-reflection sometimes is difficult. Mm-hmm. But what I hope self-reflection can do at this moment for, for us as a church is we can have kinds of more moments that you that you had, and I know it didn't happen overnight, but I mean that we are encountering the grace of God, understanding that I want to write on that paper, I am a follower of Jesus, mm-hmm. and I am um, 
I am his beloved son, I am his beloved daughter, and that I'm encountering people, doesn't always have to be your spouse, it was in your case, or meeting your spouse, but it might be we encounter our spouses in, in new ways in the coronavirus. Uh, maybe that's one of the ways we can, we, can, we can do exactly what you just said. So husbands and wives, how can we um, look past you know, the, 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 the primary or I should mean the tertiary and the secondary and look our spouses in the face and say, you know, you are loved. I love you. And, and then how can we um, be that messenger, be that um, friend, um, be that brother, sister, small group person to people to realize how I shared with you earlier, just before we got on this call or on this um, podcast, just someone that shared a text with me, mm-hmm. right? just a small example, who I had called and, and said some, you know, I, I was even uh, moved by how much they were moved by that simple act of reaching out to them. It's very simple on my mm-hmm. part. In fact, it ended up being a phone call, but originally it was a text. And uh, they were they were genuinely moved and grateful. Um, so that's a that's a great challenge. I think you know it's what's what's old is new again, and maybe maybe uh, this is the time for us to be the body of Christ in 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 ways that we we um, we always um, that you know the coronavirus isn't going to get in our way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for the time. You said you opened up so many doors. I hope we can come and do this again. Thank you for being so candid about your work life, your personal life. It's been great to talk with you, and um, I hope we can uh, we can pick it up and, and open up some more of this later. Thank you, uh, friends, for being here and joining us in the conversation today. We look forward to continuing it soon.